Hey everyone, welcome back to Dirt Talk. I'm your host, Aaron Witt, and today we have another guest, another construction guest. Very, very surprising, since we don't do that too often around here. We have Ford Berg. He started Berg Construction quite a few years ago now in Pennsylvania, Morgantown, Pennsylvania, basically Amish land, just kind of the in the middle of nowhere. They've grown all over the place. They're really, really dynamic, diverse business. Ford has I feel like a whole lot to talk about here. So thanks for thanks for joining us today, Ford. Hey, I'm honored. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, don't don't go that far. There's not too much honor to this. It's just a I'm just a guy in my apartment recording a podcast. Since it's the cool <laughs> thing to do these days. Um, it is, but it's just a different flavor that you know. If you scroll through podcasts, you know, there's very few on what we do. Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's why I started. Build it in the beginning because there was no one really kind of using storytelling in the in the industry. So I thought I could do that. And one, two, six, here we are. So Berg, oh, I guess before Berg, how did you get into the industry? I know you've been around it since you were just like a baby, essentially. So how did you grow up? What was your family like? And how did you get into blue collar life? Yeah, so my family... Um my dad and his brother had a partnership. They were logging and land clearing business, and it was a family-run business, literally. Uh, when I was small, there was like two employees, and then as we, my brothers and my sister and I got older, we were the employees. Running a log skitter by eight, chainsaw by 13. We uh, were homeschooled, and so we'd do our homeschooling from six to eight in the morning, and then we'd go out and work that day. And then, you know, if we didn't have a sporting event to go to that evening, we would be back doing whatever homework we hadn't got completed in the morning two hours. And so I've been around heavy equipment for an extensive period of time. Dirt's always more fun. Uh, you know, we always watching the, cause we were there the first guys getting the trees down and then we'd be seeing the guys come behind us with the big iron. And, uh, that always intrigued me. So then, uh, went to uh, higher education and did not finish it, but found a, uh, a niche while I was there. I'd go to school three days a week and work the other three. And, Bought my first machine while I was in college and haven't really looked back since then. And the the memories you have when you were a kid doing the land clearing, was it fun for the most part? I know it was probably pretty crazy work, but how, how was that as an experience overall? I mean, it was a wonderful experience. I didn't know any difference, so I can't say one way or the other. But yeah. when I got to be yeah. an upper teenager and I couldn't go hang out with my friends because I had to work with, you know, of course you weren't real excited about that but then you get older in life and you realize that yeah friends are definitely important but the life lessons that i learned you know i was I always said i couldn't really talk to people my age because i was always talking to owners and clients for my dad and things like that so i was more used to mm. the business world when i was a kid than maybe some other people might have been why did you give college a shot well you've been out to see us we're out in the middle of cornfield yeah. and uh I wanted to be an, actually a police officer, and I wanted to go to the big city. So I went to Philadelphia, and I went to Temple University to uh, go for criminal justice because I thought I was going to be a law officer. And just realized when I was down there, you know, I didn't get a lot out of the education, but what I did get out of it was that I realized that wasn't the right fit for me. So I actually had a story. I was going to get some clothing and um, while I was in school, and my professor was the person taking a checkout at the uh, counter and I just looked at it and I was like, I'm just in the right, wrong spot. I need to uh, go do what I do. Yeah. So, so you know, you, now I live five miles from where I grew up. <laughs> I didn't go very far. 
Yeah, you live in a, a wild place. It's very unique. When we were, I mean, we were just there a few weeks ago, and every, I don't know, 15 minutes, you'd hear the clop, 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 clop of horse, horse-drawn carriage just going down the asphalt road with uh, you know Amish family in it. I'm like, just like, where the hell are we? This is just wild. The 1800s called. They want they want their timeline back. It's crazy. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing out there. What about college and all that? Just wasn't wasn't right. I mean, and and how far into it were you when you decided to go in a different direction? I went for four years. I was literally three credits short, or three classes and three credits short, and it just I couldn't see. I was paying for my own way, and you know the financial sense just didn't make it for me, and I was already doing enough to provide for myself that it just didn't seem like, you know, my wife says I should have finished, you know, cause you gotta finish things. But at the same time, you know, if you realize something's not the right direction, you gotta be able to pivot and go to the new direction when you realize it's just not the right spot for you. Yeah. So the natural path after that was what you always knew. And so you bought a backhoe, right? Yeah. I was doing environmental testing and what the company we worked for, they also hired out backhoes. And so, I was telling the story the other day. So I got these checks for the work I did and I lived at home and, you know, I would just put them, the actual check into my little safe that I had in my room because I didn't need them at that point. <laughs> and the accountant for the company I worked for came to me like, Hey, can you cash them? You really screwed up our books. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have these checks. So I put them in the bank and it's time to go buy a, buy a machine because what else am I going to do with my money? You know, it was time to uh, buy a machine to help me do more work because there was an opportunity there and it was time to take it. Did you just pay cash for the backhoe? I did pay cash for the backhoe. My first truck, pickup truck, you know, this is a small town, as you understand, and uh, I went to get a loan. I think it was for $8,000 for my little Ford Ranger pickup truck. And uh, I go fill out the paperwork. Everything was good. They're like, yep, we're good. And I didn't realize until later that literally the branch manager called my dad and goes, hey, if he doesn't follow through, are you good for this? And it wasn't, it wasn't a personal guarantee. There was no water grass. It was just a phone call, mm. you know to my dad, making sure that I'd take care of what I said I would do. Did your, did your parents, did they care that you not, that you didn't finish college? Did they have anything to say after that? No, you know, it wasn't really ever, you know, they supported me, whatever was best for me. They didn't quite understand it, but they didn't understand going to college either. But, yeah. you know, cause I grew up in the business and I guess at that point it was kind of assumed that I would just continue on in what they were doing. But that just, didn't work out for me and I was able to kind of start this and, you know, kind of flip flop and now we all work together in this company versus my dad's company still around. He still does some work on the side, but mainly, you know, they work with us. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get to that in a little bit. Cause I definitely want to talk about that. But as far as what is environmental testing, what does that even mean? So out in the country, uh, they do percolation tests for septic systems. If you're not on public sewer and public water, you uh, run a set of tests six holes and you drop water in them every half hour and you read how quickly they drain. Mm. So the day before that you had to go dig test pits. That's where I got the backhoe for because you dig down to seven feet deep and check what the soils are, make sure there's no water, rocks, and limiting zones. And then we would dig these holes in the ground and run the test and you'd sit there and with the person from the uh, county and write down the numbers and then they would design the uh, septic system based off of whatever the readings were over a three-hour period. No kidding. Okay. How do you go from environmental testing to creating bird construction? At what point does that happen? Actually, it was a client. One of the first was a client that we did the testing for, and I got to be chatting with the uh, owner, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do a three-lot subdivision, you know, and 
he gave me the shot to do it. It's one of the things I did want to mention for sure. That like when you do this and you start from scratch, there's a fine line between lying and just being like, yes, I can do that. And I'm going to figure it out. You know, it's not that you're lying, but you just, if you don't have any backstory, you don't have any experience, you have to find a way to get someone to trust you to give you that opportunity. And so, you know, you're always taking on, Oh yeah, we can do that. All right, crap. Let me go watch YouTube and figure out how to do that or call somebody or, you know, go watch someone else do it because that's the only way you're going to learn new things or otherwise you're just going to stay doing the same thing for a very long time. Everything we do for our business at one point, we had never done it before. I've used kind of a combination of, yep, I can absolutely do that. Not a problem, not a problem at all. And then the back of my mind, like, holy shit, I better figure this out or else we're going to have some big problems. And then also now it's more so, hey, we've never done this before and having conversation about it, but we're going to figure it out together. And that's worked out pretty well for us. That's a little less scary because at least you're being honest up front. Yeah, well, our first uh, landfill project we did, we had never done anything like that before. Didn't know the specs. I mean, we read the specs, but we didn't understand the specs, I guess would be a better way of putting it. And we were low bid by uh, half a million dollars. And <laughs> I remember driving home and talking to Dan and we're just like, uh, what do we do now? And yeah. I was like, well, we won the job. We got the bonding for it. We're going to go figure it out. And the job turned out to be a success for us, but it was just that like, well, here's a job. They want to move dirt. We got equipment to move dirt. Why can't we do this? Yeah. And uh, that's how you get things done. You feel confident that you can figure it out. I mean, construction is, you know, there's plans, there's engineers, which we could really go into that whole situation. But we always joke, you get a set of plans, you throw them in the back of the truck and you got to go out and figure out what really is in the earth because everything that's drawn is in 2D. So you got to turn that into reality. So they're there for guidance, but sometimes you got to just figure, put put your thinking cap on and uh, figure out how you're going to come up with a solution with a problem that's in front of you. Yeah. And we, we could talk about engineering and all the problems, but we'd be here all day and it'd be a really boring podcast. So <laughs> I, I went to engineering yeah, school. Know. I saw that side of the world and it's, I mean, Hey, we couldn't do anything without them, but yeah, it's definitely a lot of theory rather than, you know, how things actually work in reality. That's a nice sum up of uh, the challenges we experience on a daily basis. I'm trying to be more political with how I, how I speak here because <laughs> I've pissed a lot of people off in the past. So you, you get out and get the subdivision project. Do you have to go out and hire people? What what was hiring like for you early on? You know, my brother, my brother Luke came and joined me right away. Pretty much he was working for my parents and working for me. In between that, I had already kind of hired some people when I was doing the environmental testing. But, you know, it was literally, I was 18, 19, 20 years old. It was just finding friends that needed summer jobs and grabbing them up and working for me. And a bunch of them lasted for a couple of years until we started getting more formal. And my one buddy tells the story he was working for me until the day we uh, had to mandate that you couldn't wear shorts anymore. We had to wear pants because of the work <laughs> we were doing. And he was like, all right, it's time. This is getting too formal for me. It's time for me to go do something else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So you just had, you had to kind of, by formal, you just had to, I guess, become more legitimate as you got bigger work. And, and we're serving different clients or what was that like? Yeah, exactly. At first we had a, there's a term for it, but basically we had rental employees. Like my guys actually worked for another company. They took care of all the financial stuff for me. I just paid them. And they paid my employees. I think it's called PP mm. or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Yeah. And I went to bid this job and I needed to fill out the forms that said, how much workers comp do you, do you pay a year? What's your workers comp rate? And I'm like, I don't have one. Yeah. And they're like, well, do you have employees? I'm like, yeah, but they're not actually mine. They're like, well, you have to turn them into yours because 
we can't have someone that's they, basically they looked at it as like I was a consultant and my guys were subs, which I guess is a technical thing, but I didn't see it that way. But, you know, you learn most of these lessons because somebody won't accept something you did. And you had to figure out why they didn't accept it and figure out a solution for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, and so a lot of this stuff, like you probably didn't foresee a majority of this stuff when you started, right? You didn't have a whole, I mean, you got to see how the family business run, but that was just a family business. It wasn't anything of scale. So you had to just learn all this as you went. Exactly. My uh, best friend growing up, his dad owns a big uh, building company who we actually don't do much work for, which is kind of humorous. But, you know, I saw him and he was a businessman. You know, I one day I actually interviewed him for a class and I was like, you know, I realized at the end of it, he could have been building widgets in Wichita. He was a businessman. He just his business was in the construction industry. Yeah. And, you know, that was definitely a model because I saw the small business level where it was kind of more, you know, at the end of the year, you dealt it up and figured where things were. Versus now, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at numbers every day, all day, you know, tracking things, all that kind of stuff that you have to do when you're trying to have a more scalable model versus just like, yep, well, at the end of the year, I made some money. Cool. Let's, we'll go try it again next year type level. Yeah. Well, construction is one of the few industries too. I feel like you can get away with not being very good at business. I mean, there's a lot of owners out there that just move dirt, build stuff and, hope they make money at the end of the year and they end up doing it and they can do it for 40 years like that. But then, you know, then you have these other companies and the owner, whoever's at the top is a very, very savvy businessman or business person. And then they can just go dominate. It's, it's, you don't necessarily have to be savvy with the business to be successful in construction. I feel like, but if you are, you definitely have a leg up over everyone else based on what I've seen. Yeah, I really call it two different things. Like on one side, it's usually what how most businesses grow. Someone was very good technically at some skill. Yeah, running a track hoe, whatever it might be. You know, maybe they're a plumber. They're very technical, and so they get more work. So they just grab more employees because more people want them because they're very good. Yep. And they're more worried about their technical skill than the business skills. Yep. And unfortunately, there's two ways of doing it. We have a large contractor in our area where the guy, once he's still out running a track though, and he hired someone to do the business side of it. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the business side of it. So unfortunately, I don't get to be out running the machines as much. But, you know, there is two large components to this business. And I see a lot of people I know, small contractors, that basically they own their own job. They do make money, but basically, if they did the amount of hours they put in, the amount of time they spent away from their families, they think they're making a lot of money, but if you really did some of those equations, they probably would just go work for somebody. It would be a lot less stress and a lot more family time that, you know, but they want to be their own boss. But you realize someone's like, Oh, you're easy. It's easy. You're the boss. I'm like, you don't understand. You have one boss. If you work for somebody or maybe two bosses, their boss. But when you have multiple clients, every one of those is your boss. You might have 200 bosses within one year that yeah. you have to learn their idiosyncrasies, how they operate, how they communicate, so there, you know, or if you work for someone, you got to work for whoever that superintendent is, and maybe their project manager. But other than that, you don't have to learn some of those skills as far as dealing with people. And it goes the, the other way too. I mean, someone like you, you're definitely like among definition servant leader. So you're serving everyone at your company too. You're not just serving the client; you're serving everyone at Berg. And they're your bosses too. I mean you're just trying to pave the way for them so that they can do their job, be successful, build, you know, build successful products since you don't really do that work anymore. So it goes, it's in both directions. Oh, absolutely. You know, you just, everywhere you turn, I left one day, I said to somebody, we're having a challenge and I was like, you know, 
in the old days, the way the boss wanted things was the way it was done. And, you know, even doing things like being more marketable and that stuff is not my inner way of doing things, but that's what the team thinks we need to do. And so, you know, I got to work with them. It's not my way or the highway and anything. It's, you know, what does this person want? You know, what's best for, you know, the other day we were dealing with health insurance and we're trying to figure out what is best for our team members. How, what can we afford? How can we best serve them and make it as easy as possible for them? Not just what's the cheapest plan. Yeah. How is the company structured now as far as leadership goes? Can you explain what the company looks like right now and then what company leadership looks like? Cause it is unique. Yeah, we have like four divisions, you know, some of the divisions like our residential special projects division has started basically as a legacy because we we're growing bigger jobs. We still had those relationships with those clients that how we had started and we didn't want to walk away from them because they trusted us. So we were trying to trust them back. We were trying to do both at the same time and it wasn't working. So we realized we need to have someone manage that piece. Mm. And then we were doing the public work side, you know, and we realized that was its own piece. And then we brought commercial in two years ago to fill some gaps. So that's its own team. So what we really try to do is each one of those teams has a leader. We share equipment. We share a lot of things, but literally they're, they're kind of their own little worlds and they're all responsible for their own thing versus trying to have it under one hat. Because, you know, for two factors, one is someone might want that job to run everything, but that's not a realistic job. I mean, you're going to burn out or you're going to be miserable to your family to try and manage all that at the same time. So yeah. Try to divide up that labor or requirements just makes it better for everyone's life. And uh, was it difficult for you to give up like control or have you just always been like, I want to create a business that, you know, isn't, doesn't revolve around Ford Berg. Uh, what was that like? Both. Can I say yes to both those answers? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, definitely hard to give up control and it wasn't the actual control it was just being in the mix and understanding what's going on at every job site what's going on with all the guys mm-hmm. i don't get to do that anymore and that's very disappointing because you know you build relationship with people and you just don't get to see them as much because you got to go deal with a bonding agent or insurance agent and that takes your day up or whatever else might be yeah but at the same time you know my thought process is if you hire somebody i've had you know work for clients the owner has project managers they run the job day to day, but then the owner comes in and changes everything they did. Well, why is he even paying them their salary if he's not going to trust them to do their job? Yep. Like he could make more money if he wants to do it that way, but there's no point in trying to micromanage someone else. If they do trust them, you have to get trust, you know, you build trust and then you let them do their job. And if they're good at it, everyone wins. Yeah. Are you on the, on the side where do you, do you automatically trust people? Because I know everyone gets burned, you know, every every once in a while. Are you still just inherently trusting of people, or do you do you let them prove themselves before you're willing to give them responsibility? Definitely, proof is in the pudding. Like I, you know, I'm definitely probably a little bit more on the skeptical side, mm. but I don't really get involved in the hiring as much anymore. But you know, we had one guy came in, and it was actually a funny story. Dan, he brought his resume and he asked for a certain amount of money, and Dan said to him, "He's like, listen," he said, "I'll pay you that money." but you got two weeks and if you can't do what you said you can do, then we're going to have a different conversation and you're going to be returned to market. Wow. And, uh, he walked, he walked down the office and he came back 20 minutes later and he said, actually, I'll do it for $5 an hour less because I really can't do the things that, and we're like, Hey, that's perfectly fine. But if you promote yourself in a way that you can do something, we're going to test you. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to be able to work. We were telling one of our young um, leaders that like, listen, 
you're a young guy, we don't expect you to know all this stuff. Ask. There's people with much more experience here. There's We're all here to support you. But the minute that you say, I got this, I know this, you now own that. Yeah. And then if you can't do that, that's where there's a problem because we want you to ask for help. We want to give you whatever support we can. But if you try and be too confident and it doesn't work, then there's a different conversation that has to be had. Mm, that's something. I feel, you know, in this industry too, the, the pride and the egos are definitely large a lot of times. And a lot of people overstate what their capabilities are. At least that's what I've seen for a lot of, you know, operators, field folks. They, they say that they're, you know, best in the world and they you get them out there and you're like, well, you know, I don't even think you know what stick does what. Well, that, I mean, we have, you know, we have a lot of Napoleon complex in our industry, yep. you know, and that's perfectly fine. That's how people got, because this industry is cowboy related in that, you know, you got to take a lot of risk. So people sometimes get to thinking that they did it themselves or whatever. And it's not a case. It takes everybody, you know, it takes the whole group of them to uh, make it work. But now there's definitely people, you know, you want to grow, you want to take that next leap, but the toughest conversation I've ever had to have besides sending people back to market is that if somebody thinks that they have a certain set of skills that they haven't proven to have, and then they want to know why they didn't get promoted. And it's like people have a inflated self sense And, you know, sometimes that new next position that they thought was going to be theirs, they just don't have the skill set that we're looking for, for that position. And so people knowing themselves is always the most important thing. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of times too, that it's like nothing personal or against them. It's just like, Hey, we're looking for something specific for our business. And you know, this isn't working between the two of us. It's a lot of time. It, it has nothing to do with that, that person. A lot of times it's just, you know, the business needs something that they might not be able to provide. Yeah. We had one, you know, just this year, a gentleman that came in and we said, Hey, you know, you watch these guys, you know, you might, we see, we can think we can promote you at some point. And he wasn't ready, so we had to bring in a new person over top of him, and he just could not, mm. you know, he turned it personal, and it was just yeah. that he was he still was not ready for that promotion, and we had to have someone in that spot at that point. And we still had hope for him, but we had to uh, part ways because he just couldn't get over the fact that we had put somebody in that position. Yeah, that's a bummer. Now, as far as the, the leaders you do have over the, the four divisions, because I know you have some extraordinarily talented people, can you talk about how you found them? And some of them were even previous business owners. And so how has that been? You know, some of them were business owners for a very long time before they came in and started working for you. And you'd think that, you know, after they've been a business owner for that long, they wouldn't want to be working for someone again. You know, why have you guys employed guys that have run their own businesses before and how has that how has that worked out for you it's worked out wonderful because they actually understand both sides of some of the issues that you have mm. um you know it's kind of a joke i laugh about but every person you meet you're looking at your bench and you're like hmm maybe someday we can work with that person or oh that would be a good position for that I, person, I do that you know? every single day yeah <laughs> yeah you meet someone you're like i don't really have a need for you yet but i like your skill i like your personality and i think we can find a home for you yeah and so, yeah, literally Dan, who basically runs the operations for me, we actually worked under him doing snow for two or three years before he came on board. And so I got to see him in real life handling stressful situations because the two truths about people is either they're drunk or they're under stress. And that's in my mind when you see their true colors mm. and we were plowing snow. And I mean, there's nothing much more stressful than trying to get plowing snow in the middle of the night and you got to be ready for the 
people to use the facility the next day. And yeah. I just saw how he handled it. And Brian, who's our CFO, he was my banker. He was the guy that was telling me no for a long time because I didn't have my ducks in a row. And I was like, all right, I think I got a spot for you there. And then Scott, who runs the uh, special project division, he ran his own company. And he just wanted to get back into doing the work. He was just, when we had the conversation, we met for coffee or breakfast the one day. And he just wanted to do the work. And he wanted someone else to kind of handle the back end stuff. And I'm like, hey, that's, that is perfect for me. I'll work on that side. And I'll just let you run this thing. And if you need anything, give me a holler. But otherwise, I'll be out of your hair. I kind of joke about it. But it's almost like we're a venture capital firm. And yeah. we're just investing in these people. Yeah. And letting them do their own thing, and at the end, of, you know, the end of a job or the end of the quarter, whatever, we got to have a conversation and see how they're making out. But literally, they're doing their own thing, and you know, I'm just there to support for if I can help them with a lot of anything I can possibly do. And I love that model. That's what we're trying to do with our own business. I don't want because it's like like traditional business is you know that traditional hierarchy or you know hub and spoke. Everything has to go through one person at the top. You know, all the decisions. But if you eliminate that and just trust people to make their own decisions and then, I mean, I guess that's how I frame it for everyone. Like I'm just here to eliminate problems for you and make sure that everyone's paid, make sure that we have the resources, the work, everything like that, and then pave the way for you to execute and go do your best work possible. But my job is just to eliminate the headaches so you can do what you like to do. Exactly. I'd say I work on, you know, I heard this in a podcast actually from uh, Dave Ramsey of the financial guy and he said he works on three things every day and there's you know i don't work on the same three things he does but i work on new things i work on broken things and i work on financial things now that's not all i do but those are the three focuses of my day and you know it might be literally the other day i was helping one of the young ladies in our office we were trying to figure out a new paper towel holder for our bathrooms because we're trying to get automated ones for covid so people didn't have to touch them that was literally something that i was jumping in on that might not be, but she had a question and I was there to try and provide a solution. Love it. That's what you do day to day, huh? Pick out paper towel yeah. machines. <laughs> paper towel machines, uh, clean up trash that might've fell out of somebody's truck in the yard. <laughs> just, you know, be there as a resource. You know, I really don't have a plan for my days. It's just go in when someone needs me, be on the other end of the phone or swing by their office and answer a question for them. I go out and look at jobs for our estimator because that's one of the things that's kind of unique. We have our one of our main estimators lives in Arizona. Uh, we have another person who lives in Ohio that works remotely for us. And so he'll call me and I'll go out and actually put boots on the ground on the job when he can do the takeoffs and stuff. But I can actually, uh, I was, this morning I was out taking pictures on a job to upload so he can see what uh, we're looking at in the real world. No kidding. Now, uh, at what point did you, going back to Dan, did you think that, okay, the operations are starting to get away from me. You know, this is a lot going on. I need someone that, that can execute and handle the operation side of the business. What did, or did you see Dan and be like, man, I think I could create a place for him. Or did you have that need and then see Dan and be like, Oh, that's the guy. So I actually brought him in to be our director of snow. Cause that's what we worked together as. Okay. And he ran the snow for us the first year that he was here. And we did a huge amount of snow. It was the most snow we'd ever done in our entire career at Bergensburg or at Snow Logic, which is our snow company. But, you know, he ran it. He ran it well. He took stuff off my plate and allowed me to do other things. And it was like, it wasn't a direct like this. I need a director of operations. But when I had my original, you know, goal, when I started this business, I wanted to have enough people that I didn't have to be day-to-day 
in the mix. I mm. wanted to be doing other things. I, originally, it was a vision so I could go back out of the machine, but that just didn't really happen. But, um, <laughs> it was, you know, I wanted to have like my goal was twenty people, and I could be back out of the machine, and I could afford someone to manage the day to day of everything. Yeah, so and, much for uh, that. Yeah, so much for that. But I mean, his first year, we definitely, you know, we always joke about it, but you know, we had to figure certain things out, or you know, some of the field people tested him. Because he didn't have some of the field experience, and they'd be asking for equipment he didn't need. We had our little boy running a little bit much, but I did not step in. I saw things that weren't the way I was done it. But you know what? Like back to the first thing. Like if, if I'm going to pay him and have him do this, he's got to learn. Because if he's going to constantly just lean back on me, which I'm there for, but if he's not going to figure it out himself, then I might as well be doing it myself as well. Yeah, I mean. Very, very frankly, if I were to just watch the both of you, I would, I would almost guess that he's the owner of the company rather than you just seeing how, how he's really damn good at, at running the field. And, and he's, he's very well-spoken and, and he's very, very, very smart. Uh, he's great at what he does. Yeah. We've had some people along the way, some that have been wonderful that just didn't work out and some that didn't work out that weren't a right fit for us. But the people that are the inner circle that, you know, I rely on daily, I rely on everyone, but as far as the people that manage things for me, complete, utter faith and trust. And, you know, the first 10 years I was working 80, 100 hour weeks because yeah. it was such a small crew. And now I can finally, you know, go on vacation or do things and know that, you know what, they're not going to bother me unless there's a huge problem. And even then they're probably not going to bother me because they're going to try and figure it out themselves. And then if they're calling me, it's the last resort. Yeah. Now, as far Going to, you know, you working 80, 100-hour weeks, I know starting a business, it comes at a cost, and I'm kind of seeing some of that price that you have to pay that's kind of intangible, and you don't really understand until you're starting to pay it. You are just starting a family now, right? I mean, you got married not too yep. long ago. You've been, you've been with your, your wife now for a long time. Like, how many, how, how many years have you guys been together? Uh, since we've been 18. I don't even want to do the math on that, but basically 20 <laughs> years we've been together. Yes, yeah, so you've been 20 years, uh, but you just got married. <laughs> exactly. She's been uh, overly understanding and yeah. uh, allowed me to do this. And I actually, I want people to start businesses. I'll try and help them out, whatever it is. But a lot of times I'll tell people, don't start a business. Yeah. Go work for somebody. Use your skill set. You know, you, at five o'clock when you go home, you know what? You can uh, turn it off. And if you have small children already, it's going to be a big challenge. I mean, our industry, one of the bigger challenges is, too, that there's a lot of people that might be on their second, third marriage just because our business does take a toll on and you have to be willing to sacrifice certain things. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But that's definitely one of those big challenges is just the hours because we have a limited window. Everything needed to be done yesterday. And, you know, you just got to get the job done because that's what they're paying you for. Yeah. I mean, marriage and relationships and families are probably one of the biggest struggles in this industry. I mean, I was just talking with a guy yesterday. He's in the middle of a divorce and then, you know, he's been in the industry traveling and this and that. And it just, it takes, a, it requires a lot. And I, I guess I, I watched my parents get divorced, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, my dad, he was, he was working his ass off and that was one of the contributing factors there too. So did you, did you deliberately be like, you know what, I'm just going to go build this company and worry about family later? Was that a deliberate decision? Definitely not. There was no master plan. I'm not that smart. Yeah. But it's just the timing, things fell into place at the right times. And, you know, she was understanding enough to uh, let me get through some of those struggles in time to actually give her the things that she deserves. Yeah. It's 
pretty cool. What can you tell everyone what her uh, wedding present was to you? So she actually found the original backhoe that I had sold years ago and tracked it down helped with help from Caterpillar and uh, Steve over there and Lonnie. They tracked it down and she bought it, found it in uh, Maryland. I assumed by now it was probably in South America because it's so old. <laughs> and it was actually some little landscaper guy that used it a couple times a year. She actually found it and uh, got it for me for our wedding present. Unbelievable. Yeah. It was um, pretty, pretty special day. She pulled into the park, took me down, and she's like, We're just going for a drive. I'm like, All right, whatever. And we get down there and she's like, Look. And I'm like, What? There's an old back to there. And she's like, Look at it closer. And I'm like, well, What? And I was like, that looks like my old machine. She's like, that is your old machine. And she said, that's the biggest smile she ever saw on my face. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I heard that story. It's just so damn cool. So now, now that you're starting a family, you know, she's pregnant, you guys are married now. Do you feel good about where the business is at, where you can, you know, spend more time working on the family and, you know, rely on those people? We, we just talked about it, you know, but rely, rely on leadership, still be there, still be, you know, helping them manage everything. But, are you going to step back a little bit and put a little bit more attention on, on family or how does that look, you know, over the next few years? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the blessings that came out of COVID is I realized I knew I could trust them, but to actually see, you know, so she was pregnant when COVID hit our area and those guys had to lay people off for that time we were shut down. And I couldn't even be there because she was at a higher risk for getting it. So I was literally mm. cooped, cooped up in my house. Yeah. Um, and I really felt bad because I feel I should be there in front when we're having a challenging time. But those guys took the bull by the horns and did what was necessary. And, you know, one time Dan actually said to me, he's like, you know, if you got to take a whole year off, just go do it. We'll get it covered for you. So I'm pretty uh, pretty stoked about this. And, yeah, my days are much better now. I mean, most days I'm home by 5 o'clock. And, you know, that's in anticipation of being able to be around and be part of the little one first of everything. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you've you've paid the tax too. You've you've worked a long ass time to get just to that point of being home at a reasonable hour. Oh yeah, I have a. There's one other thing. I think it was like an Instagram post, and she actually bought it for me. But it's just you know, it shows an iceberg, and it says, yeah, you see what you see is the top, which is success, but you don't see the hard work, persistence, late nights, rejection, sacrifice, discipline, yeah, criticism, doubts, failures, and risk that are all underneath the water level. Yeah, yeah. COVID, how you guys got hit pretty hard. That must have been one of the biggest challenges you guys had ever faced as a business. You know, Pennsylvania was one of the hardest hit states in the construction industry because of, you know, the shutdowns. How was that? And what did you guys learn out of that? So we were expecting a slowdown. We've been on a rise for the last 10 years. And we just, you know, I basically started the business just in the last housing bubble. So we've been kind of having the conversation, trying to get ducks in a row to deal with a normal slowdown, not a medical-induced slowdown. It was definitely a challenge just because, you know, as construction, you know, you're usually pretty hardy people that kind of do what you want to do. So to be told you can't do certain things is definitely a big challenge. We were able to make some meals for our team during that time to try and help out whatever way we could. But it really, you know, I said to somebody, I was like, if we had made bad decisions and crashed this company. I would have felt a lot worse. This was out of our control. Yeah. It still sucked, but it was really out of our control. And then, you know, the team did a great job. They were able to find jobs that were considered essential in our state that we were able to work on. So we were able to get some people actually didn't stop at all because they were on those essential jobs and we were able to find other essential jobs that we were actually operational 
before the green light was given to us based on we were working on projects that were deemed essential. It's wild. What did you learn out of it? Other, I know you talked about your leadership team and being able to step away from the business. What did you guys learn as a business? I mean, we just learned that, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. Uh. I mean, you know that, but at the same time, like to actually feel that is a whole different thing, you know, yeah. knowing something is book knowledge versus feeling it's a different experience. And, you know, we were in a great spot. We just had a great year last year. We were really left working to build upon that and we're still building upon it, but you know, we're going to have a little bit of a hiccup or, you know, we lost six weeks of our work season here because we're in the Northeast and, you know, winter time definitely slows down, but we're able to work with all of our vendors and people and, you know, having those relationships with those people, you know, really pay in, in challenging times. I definitely agree there. That's why I spend so much time in relationships because you never know when you'll need them. As far as your whole family now works for the business, your dad, your mom, siblings, the whole Berg family is at Berg Construction. Did that just kind of happen? And and how is that? How is working with your entire family? Great. You know, there's basically two sides of families that work within a business from what I've seen. And I've been blessed with the the positive side of it. The, my parents are the ones that raised me and gave me my work ethic. You know, my brothers we were all raised to work the same way and finding roles that they excel at has been great. You know, we had a family dinner for my father's day for my dad there the other day. And you just look around and realize that, you know, this is, this has blessed me, but it's blessed our entire family and allowed us all to have jobs and work together and see each other on a more regular basis than we might if we, you know, didn't all work together. You know, there's an automatic trust there just because you have worked together for years and, you know, there's definitely challenges, of course, but there's definitely more on the positive side of the scale than there is on the negative side. Yeah. And your your brother, he had his own paving business. At what point did you guys decide to combine the two and, and put the paving business underneath Berg? About, uh, I guess it was January of 18, I guess we did, or something like that. Or no, I think it was January of 19 we did it. You know, he had a shop next to mine. His offices were next to mine. And I'd already gone through some of the challenges, the bonding, the banking, some of that stuff. He's more a little bit more operational in sales than that, you know, some of the back office stuff. And we just got to a point where he was growing, and it was like he was going through all those same fights that I had already fought through and already came out the other side on. It just didn't make sense to have him go through those same fights. We were both paying insurances. We were both paying all those soft costs that add up, and it was like – we can do this better if we're not both paying separately. We can combine certain things and have savings. And also, you know, we at the, we were at that point where we're a little bit larger. We could bring in, you know, some people that he might have not felt he was able to afford, even though he probably could have. You know, you had that conversation where you look at the number, you're like, holy cow, how can I afford that? But then once you get him in, you realize, how can I not afford that? Yep. But he was still on that front side of like, how can I afford that person? We're not making that much money yet. And I'm on the other side and having the ability to afford that person and, and let the time take it takes to be able to reap the rewards from investing in that person. I was on the before side of that up until maybe two months ago. And I'm just now like Dan, for example, we had so many conversations about money for two years straight because the entire time I was like, how the hell am I going to afford this guy? And he was like, how the hell am I going to live off of just not getting paid, you know, what I'm worth? And then now it's just like, 
I can't even imagine not having him. And I can't even imagine I was stressed about paying him. Even it's a lot of money, but it's so minimal now. I just have no stress and anxiety about it anymore because I've, I've been able to start to see the value of it. And it's just like, I can't even believe I worried about this. Exactly. One of the things we, when we interview people, Dan does it, I don't do it. But one of the questions we say to them is like, what do you need to have your family comfortable? Because don't come in here with some ridiculously low number because you want the job and then you're going to be stressed and your family's going to be fighting because you don't have the money you need or you're going to be having a side job. Like we want to be a number. And if the number doesn't work for what we have for that position, God bless you. Good luck. And you'll find it somewhere else. But you know, we just need you to tell us the number that your family needs to live off of because we need you to be, when you're at work, we need you to be focusing on work and not, you know, oh, I need a car payment next month and I don't know how I'm going to get there. So come up with a number. And if that number works with us, we can uh, work together. And if that number doesn't work, then you know what? Hopefully someone else can uh, make it work for you. So many businesses are so short-sighted because they just see the dollars. Well, I can't pay someone this much, but then they don't see the well, if they're worrying about making that car payment or feeding their family, they're not showing up at work. They're still at home even when they're at work and then they're less productive and then you're making less money. So if that person was happy, you could be making a hell of a lot more money and paying them more and, and still making it out on top, still being competitive on bids. It's it, it just makes everyone better off. Well, there's a local company in our area, not in construction, but they uh, have a lot of low paying jobs and they also, they off board what is it, 50 people a week? Because yes. it's a mill. They're just running them through. And they have police called because, you know, they have theft and different factors. And, uh, you know, I'm not the person doing the math, but in my mind, like, okay, what if you raise the raise so much, got a better workforce? You know, in my mind, don't you think you would get a better result and you would win just as much, but, you know, have a much less stressful challenge there and everybody can run their business their own way that's the cool part about it but that's just in my thought process it doesn't make a lot of sense it is kind of fun looking at how other businesses do it and and man that's a great idea or man that just doesn't make any sense to me and it, there's just no right or wrong way to do it and everyone has their different way it's it's a lot of fun looking at them exactly going to people management and kind of the future of the industry We've talked about this in the past, and you've said that the future of the industry and those who are going to be successful aren't necessarily the ones who can build the best since it's you know kind of the same thing. You're all building the same products and using the same equipment, this and that. It's really going to be in people, but not just people, but just in being able to manage people. Can you explain that, and can you explain where you think the industry is headed? Managing people is the best rewards you can have and also the biggest challenge you can have. I mean, I don't stay up at night worrying about a job. I stay up and, you know, if I'm up at night, it's because of a challenge we're having with a personnel issue or, you know, the biggest rewards is seeing somebody that has grown and, and been able to be promoted because they learned a new skill set. Those are the wonderful parts, but the downside is the people that are challenging or people that don't fit the culture that have to be returned to market. And we actually had the conversation and that's what you're referring to is that like, at some point, if we can figure this out, which we don't have figured out, but we're trying every day, if we can get a plan in place to do manage people and people want to be part of our culture and be part of our team, that will have a value in its own because a lot of people just don't want to deal with people anymore. They'd rather sit behind, have internet stones and type nasty emails, and they just don't want to actually have that personal interaction and that 
conversation with a human, they'd rather just stay at 10,000 feet and not get their uh, hands dirty. Yeah. And what, what is the future of Berg looking like? Are you, I take it you guys are extremely focused on people, people management, that kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, that's what makes this thing tick. You know, I think Alan said that in one of your other podcasts, anybody can go rent equipment. Anybody can go get a bank loan if they can show that they have work. But if you don't have the talented and the people that are committed to doing it, I don't care. You're not going to get very far in this world. Yeah. It's just the reality of the situation. But if you can get people that are bought in with what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do something, that will speak volumes over, oh, we got a new piece of equipment that, you know, has air conditioning and Bluetooth. Yeah. Okay. We got an old timer who works with us and uh, some guys are complaining about one machine that is a little loose in the blade. And so I went out to look at it. And the guy's like, you know, he's been around for a long time. He just laughed. He's like, listen, my paycheck's the same whether I run something that is half falling apart or I run something that's brand new. If it gets the job done, that's all that matters. And I was like, we try and really have some fresh equipment because these guys are spending more hours in the piece of equipment than they are probably doing anything else in their life except for sleeping. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, our equipment does wear out. It's being beat up every day. And so sometimes the machine might have a little bit of wiggle in it. And, you know, some people have concern with that. And some people are like, hey, my check's still clear. So I get paid the same to run this as I do get, get to run the brand new one. And some guys don't even want the brand new ones because they don't want to be the first one to put a scratch on something. Yep. So, no, investing in, in humans is new apps, new everything we can do to make their life easier and allow them to just focus on what they need to get the job done. What is an investment that you guys have made in the past year or two that's just been like, that's really changed things for you guys? Some of the HCSS fleet of products we've invested in, some stuff with our payroll company that provides people easier access to things. Yeah, uh, We hired an actual HR person. We had it. Brian was kind of wearing that hat as well, and we just realized having someone that could dedicate their time to that is highly important. So those are the factors that have been in the most recent, you know, working on handbooks and constantly. As soon as you get something done, you got to redo it and relook at it. Nothing can be stagnant. Everything constantly has to be improved. That's just the only way we're going to go forward. Now, on Brian there, because he's extremely smart too, he was not in the industry what is it like taking someone, because this industry does speak a very specific language. There is a barrier to entry, I feel like, a very tangible barrier to entry. If you don't speak the language, it's it's difficult to get respect, wrap your mind around it. Not saying it can't be done, but but it, it definitely creates a barrier there. How was it taking someone like Brian, who's a, you know in banking and pulling him into construction? He's still on you know operations, finances, that kind of thing, but he's you know now doing it at a construction company. What's that like? Well, I'll actually spin that 90 or 180 degrees. It, part of my look for having him was I don't speak banker. Mm. I'd go to the bank and be like, yeah. everything looks good to me as a construction company, but the bankers are looking at me like, eh, you're in construction, X. Yeah. You're young, X. All these factors. And I was like, I need someone that speaks their language from my side to be able to better communicate with them because they have their own language that they speak and I would definitely was not speaking it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so I kind of looked at it from that direction and, you know, no, he's taken some education. He goes to some of the different CMSA, uh, I have the wrong acronym, but there's a construction, you know, accounting stuff. He takes some classes on and learns more every day and automating stuff helps too. But yeah, there's definitely 
you know, when we first get some of those guys first get there from out of the other industry, it's like, yeah, it's big yellow. And then, okay, how much depreciation and all those factors are in play. So, you know, I think that's where it's a great marriage of two different cultures and business cultures because of the fact that we had the data. We just weren't, we didn't understand how to present it properly. Mm. He could take our data and make it appropriate so that the uh, other side could understand it and feel comfortable with it. Because, you know, telling our story, I've learned that it's not just telling our story to the public. It's not just telling our story to our employees, but we have to tell our story to everyone that's going to work with us, every vendor, every bank, every bonding agent. Like you can't just, here's, you know, here's a piece of paper. Thank you very much. You really have to explain it to them and make them comfortable as a human with what you're doing. Yeah. I've learned that too. That's all I do is sales and selling what we're doing, selling our vision, selling our mission to everyone we touch, not just new companies, but existing companies, people within existing companies. It's like you, you hire us on. So you, we explained it to you, you're bought in, but the rest of the organization isn't. So now we need to sell the rest of the organization on us. You know, the rest of the executive team, the rest of even people out as a laborer, I need to explain to them why I'm even taking their pictures. So they're bought in now vendors, everybody. I mean, it's just nonstop selling, selling, selling of, of who we are and what we do. Yeah. And everything that you have or everything that you do sells, you have to be very cognizant of that. The trucks, the logos, the conversations, you know, if a one-off conversation with a project manager for a client on a job and you're just shooting the breeze and you say something dumb, you know what? That might come back up five years later or some other time. Yeah. So it's like you want to have that open conversation, but you, you really have to realize that every word you're saying could be analyzed by someone at some point in a, from a different light. Cause you don't know what, you know, what aspect, how they're looking at what you're saying. Yep. Last topic I wanted to discuss, and this is something Dan has joked about. I mean, almost every single time I've talked to him is that the marketing, the storytelling, the putting yourselves out there is so against your human nature and so against everything you believe in that he's just amazed it's even happening still. And you guys are very low key, extremely low key. And you're just, you're just low key just on your own. I mean, you're, you're very, very modest. Why put yourselves out there more? Why, why tell that story in a, in a, why, why start painting that picture that, that you weren't previously? Well, I told him I was doing this with you, this podcast with you. He's like, oh, does that mean you're taking the next year off? Cause you're doing something <laughs> so outside of your, uh, <laughs> see, I, he, he jokes about it every time. <laughs> No, I mean, I was, I've always been raised and I believe in let your actions speak louder than your words. That's just how I, I mean, if it was up to me, we wouldn't even have logos on our truck because yeah. in my mind, the people that need to know who we are do and those that don't doesn't really, is going to fly off my back and we're in a small town and I want to still be able to go out to dinner and people not know who I am. And it's just, that's the way I like to, I was raised in a very conservative Mennonite area and that's just how it is. But the reality is that and you talked about before, you grow a monster, a monster needs to eat. Yeah. And monster needs to eat a lot. And if this is what it takes to, you know, allow our people to grow and have more opportunities, then guess what? I got to uh, bite the bullet and do it because we don't know. You know, this conversation might not turn into anything for us, but, if, you know, someone might listen to it and want to come work with us. Someone might listen to it and go, hey, you know what? we like those guys and we want to get them an opportunity to do this project. You never know what's going to happen. And we've gotten to the size in our area. There's a lot of great big competitors, a lot of 
people we know in our industry, and we have to differentiate ourselves because, as you said earlier, we all lay pipe, we all put macadam down, we all do all these different things, and so any little edge that we can possibly have, we have to be willing to try it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you guys are hiring, so if someone is listening to this looking for a new job in Pennsylvania, give Burke Construction a call, right? Absolutely. We'd be uh, glad to chat with someone that is looking to make a transition or someone that just isn't there where they are, isn't the right seat on the bus for them. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, that's all I got for you. I think that was a pretty thorough conversation. Do you got anything else you want to mention before we we're done here? No, I mean, I think that the only other thing I was going to say, and we didn't really get to bring it up is that we're hoping to see you guys in a couple months for a round table and, someone's out there, find some people in your industry that you can chat with. I'm part of another group as well. And we meet twice a year from all over the country, different contractors, and we see how they do things. And you always got to be learning. If you're not learning, you're falling apart. You know, I'm not saying you have to learn like some brand new thing, but every little piece of information you have, you know, helps build the mosaic of who you are and who you are as a company. So every day you got to try to find at least one morsel to pull out of something. Yeah. And there's so much value in just being vulnerable too. And, you know, a lot of companies, their egos are so big, they just don't want to participate in anything like that. Or when they do, they're, they're not all that helpful. They just kind of show up. But when you put yourself out there, you're just, at least I've been amazed what you can get in return. Oh, and you see someone doing something different in some other area, you know, we've talked about it and you sit there and you go, are they doing it that way because that's the way they've always done it? Or did they figure out something that we don't know about that we got to try because maybe it'll work in our in our sector? Yeah. Well, it's a crapshoot on that one. Sometimes it's just, yep, this is the way we've always done it. And it, it makes no sense, but it's like, well, that's what the, that's what we do. And then sometimes it's like, man, this is genius. I don't know why everyone doesn't do it. It's uh, <laughs> We're in a unique position. We get to see a lot of that. It's just, it's funny. It Down to, you know... Uh, in some regions, they just love their freaking track loaders, and then other regions, they don't exist. To like, they put specific teeth on their bucket, and just like that's what they do. It's funny to see. Well, no, I mean I saw roller wheels and, and out in Arizona when I was there last time, and we don't use them here. And now it's just uh, every day. It's like hmm, a better way to do it. Everyone has a compaction wheel out here. Everyone, every single pipe crew, and then I'll go to other places, and they'll have those like vibratory plates. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, why would you use that? Why the, the wheels are are they don't break? They just spin. You just got to grease it every once in a while, and you're good to go. But yeah, everyone's everyone's a little different. All right, Ford. Well, I uh, really appreciate you hanging out with us for an hour today. So thanks for thanks for chatting. Also, Berg has a new website. So it's Berg B E R G C O N S T dot com. That's it, right? That's correct, and it was made by yours truly and your team, and um, we're really happy with the uh, results that you guys were able to pull help pull our story out for us. Shameless plug there. Yeah, seriously, check out their website if you want to learn more about Berg Construction. They're in Pennsylvania. They do anything from residential sewer tie-ins to capping entire landfills. It's remarkable the, the depth that their company has. So check them out if you're looking to learn more about them or work for them, either one. All right. Thanks, Ford. Thank you, sir. Have a good afternoon. All right. We'll see you. And as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with someone that you think would also enjoy it. 
Um, we we're just trying to spread this with as many folks as possible. We're not spending anything on it, you know, promotion wise. We're not growing it artificially like anything else we do. We just rely on you sharing it, showing people. So please share it with others and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks.